0: Uh, you get the privilege of hearing someone deliver her very first message, but actually it's second because you did a message at the first service as well as well. Andrea Swenson joined our team last summer, uh, serving in the role of community connections. She just knows a lot of people out there; a lot of people know her. She has an incredible heart for Jesus and a passion that people would know who He is. And so this morning, you are going to deliver us the good word from the Book of Philippians. Sweet. Would you all please welcome Andrea Swenson?
1: Yeah. Oh, it's fun getting clapped for This is the second time in one day. It feels really good. Uh, good morning, church. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm Andrea. Just, uh, introduce myself a little bit. Went to New London, class of 08. Go cats. Uh, we have a picture of my sweet little family. There we are. Um... My husband, Kyle, in the back, we've been married for just over 10 years. He's a rock star. We've got five kids. Garrett is 13. Evelyn will be 11 next week. A little sassafras. Ellen in front, she is eight. And then there's... Oh, no. Which one's which? I think Henry's on the right and Burke is on the left. Pretty sure. Uh, They are 18 months old. And if you've ever have you ever prayed for something and God answered in a way that seemed like totally out in left field, but then you look back on your life and you're like, yep, that's what I needed. A case could be made for those two little boys being answered to my prayer for patience. Um, the fact that there's two of them, I don't know what that says about my character, but we are so in love with those little boys. They are sweet, especially when they're sleeping. Um, so enough about me. Let's talk about Philippians. Uh, Philippians is one of my favorite books because it is the only letter that Paul writes where he's not trying to correct behavior, where he's not uh, calling out sin and, and, and telling them to come back to come back to truth. Uh, so it is a picture of a mature uh, church. And so I love Philippians for that. And I love joy. I like to smile. I like to be happy. So I, I just love Philippians. It's an encouragement to my heart. So if you brought your Bibles today, we're in Philippians chapter three. We're going to do verses one through eleven. Uh, so the middle of your Bible, flip to the right. Uh Philippians I spell it wrong every time. Uh, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who'd mutilate the flesh. So Paul starts with a, a call to rejoice and then a warning. So he's saying, root your joy, root your uh, focus in who I am. And in the Lord, because there's going to be those that are going to lead you astray. There's going to be people who or those who would lead in a direction that sounds good, but ultimately misses the cross. So he's saying, if your focus is on me, your mind can't be in two places at once. So if I'm rejoicing in the Lord, I can't also be discouraged or misled. Uh, so he's saying, focus on me, uh, be diligent and aggressive in your pursuit of Jesus and question any of those who dampen your hope. Um And Paul is now going to be... He's intimately aware of one of those voices that was speaking into the church in that time. See, Paul wasn't always a passionate pursuit of Jesus. He was... uh, Acts chapter 9 talks about a dramatic conversion story. We're not going to go there today, but I encourage you to go back and read that this week. Uh, Acts chapter 9, he's... This conversion story where Paul goes from persecuting Christians to now leading them. Um, And so, pre-conversion, Paul is... Uh, one of the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were those who had—you uh, were to follow a strict, rigid rules, and you followed all of the ceremonies, and you did all of the things right, so that you could put on this perfect Jewish life and be presented before God as as worthwhile, or as and, and gain eternal life that way, um, and so. Paul is going to say in this next set of verses, in some bold ways, he's saying, I was the perfect representative of what a perfect Jewish life was. But so let's, let's go to verse 3. Uh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God in glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, oh, sorry, just kidding. Hold that, we're going to come back. Um, so if Paul were to say, if, if he were writing 2021 style, he might say, I spend an hour in the Bible every single morning. My Sunday morning attendance is perfect. I lead every single small group in my church. Everybody in my family works in the church. I've been here since I could breathe. Uh, I have never had a lustful thought. When you all are in Mexico on the sandy beaches, I am in Africa helping in orphanages. My social media is only prayers and and, and scripture. Overall, just this perfect look of a perfect Christian. He's saying, if anybody's winning at this religious stuff, it's me. I'm the guy. And he became quite famous for it. He had much political and financial gain. He was the man. But let's see what he says. Verse 7, with all that, he says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord for his sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. So Paul's saying... All of those things I did in order to have this perfect presentation, none of it matters. So don't do things just to do them. Do them because you know who God is. So we've gotten so comfortable in our American culture, right? We live in a Christian country surrounded by Christian people doing Christian things. So therefore, we have right standing before God. right? We have merit before him because we've got it pretty good. We go to church on Sundays. We help out on Wednesdays. And mostly we... It's pretty good during the week. Therefore, I have merit before God. But he's saying none of that matters. He said he counted it all as loss in light of who God is. He's saying I can lose everything that I have, and it would be okay because I know where my heart is. Saying life is short, but eternity is forever. And I want more of who God is here in this place so that I can live out a legacy that goes beyond the grave, right? That's not going to die with me at the grave. He's saying joy is found when life is no longer about what I can squeeze out of it and more about how I can further the gospel. Um, A message that's going to be here long after I'm gone. Joy is knowing the one who gives it. So Paul is distinguishing here between works that, uh, for cultural identity or, or having that look on the outside and works that are an overflow of the obedience of the God you know on the inside. He's saying, so so don't hear me say, don't do things, keep serving, keep praying, keep moving the gospel forward, but do it so the kingdom can be furthered, not so that you can feel good about maybe I did enough this week. so here's how this played out for me in my life, and oh, listen, already I thought with God all week about this because um, it's a hard hard story for me to share, but ultimately. He said, I, I, I don't care. It's my story to share, not yours to keep. So bear with me as we as we walk through this, um, this mom story for me. So m- when I was growing up, every morning I'd wake up, my mom was always at the counter. She had her Bible, she had her pen, she had her notebook, and she always had her quiet time there in the morning. She played piano for the churches on Sunday. She always was making food for people who needed it. Um, She did all kinds of things, and so in my mind, she was this picture of Christian maturity. I don't think that I ever saw her swear, like never once. She just was so grounded. Uh, My dad, I wish I remembered him. Uh, He passed away when I was seven, um, but he was a conservation officer around here in the 90s, and so I get to hear lots of stories from people who he maybe stops or... or, um, New in passing and really all of the stories are kind of the same. He would just check their license and count their fish and then uh, he would talk their ear off and eat all their snacks and then he'd leave. So I don't know, I'm pretty confident that he knew Jesus uh, and so I'll get to ask him one day and, and hear his stories. But my mom, I remember. And so when I was 16, um, and then whew, death. for three years after that, my four older brothers and I, we walked with my mom through just a really, just a fierce battle with cancer. Um, and towards the end of her life, one Sunday morning, I got to, I was in church by myself. Because that's what you did. And at this point in my life, I wasn't really sold out for Jesus. I didn't really believe that he was who he said he was. I just, I, I wasn't sure. But I was in church to, you know, check that church box. I was there. We're good. Um, so I'm sitting in kind of the front left. Uh, Part of the church. And partway through the sermon, the pastor looks at me and goes, I I talked to Cindy this week. I talked to your mom. And I'm like, God, no idea what the sermon is about so far. I wasn't really paying attention. So this was Sunday, and my mom passed away that Wednesday. So these are really the last days um, of her life. And he said, I I went to see her because I needed to ask those end of life questions. said, I I have to ask the, how are you feeling? Do you know what happens next? And he said, she, she, she interrupted him. She stopped him. And he said, she spoke with just this full confidence that she believed every word that she said. And she looked at him and she said, Pastor, don't worry. It is well with my soul. You know, for years, that really wrecked me. Like, how could she say that? And with full assurance, this wasn't like an end of the life, just reach, reach for God in the end of life. She, like, she believed it. She lived that way. And it wrecked me because how could she say that after everything she's been through, and now her body is just ravaged with cancer, and she's leaving behind five kids to figure out life by herself. How could she have that peace? Um, but in that moment, it didn't matter how many times she played the piano or how many times she served in church or how many times she did things, good things. You know, those ministered to her heart and brought her to maturity, but that's not where she placed her hope. That's not what she rested in. She didn't live for things she could do for the church. She lived for the one that she did it all for. She knew her Jesus. Um, And so her words have been just a a north star for me. Because I didn't know that Jesus that she knew. I knew a lot about him. I could answer all your questions. But I didn't know him. I didn't have that peace, and it definitely was not well with my soul. Um, And so I've been taught my whole life that God is good, and he wants to have a relationship with you, that it's not just a religion. But it wasn't until just these last probably two years that I had quieted my heart enough to just let God's truth flush out in my heart that we can't strive for perfection. We're not good enough for that, right? We're not good enough for that. But when we intimately know who Jesus is, we can be before him righteous. See, when we don't know him, we're never sure if we're right before him. So we do what feels like, it's like we're doing the right thing. But we never know. We don't have assurance. But God is perfect. And we are not. We are full of sin. We grumble and complain, right? We have selfish ambition. We have addictions and all other amount of sin. But when we know God, because of Jesus, because he took on our sin on the cross, we can come before God as righteous. And when our life comes to an end, and we stand before a holy and just God, completely unworthy of him, completely broken, but when we know Jesus... At the end of our life, when we come before God, Jesus steps in front of those he knows and those who love him. And he takes on the wrath that was meant for me. And he says, this one's mine. She belongs to me. And that's where joy begins. That's where we can rejoice in the Lord. We can rejoice in the Lord amidst cancer. We can have joy in the Lord in the midst of Abandonment. We can have the joy in the Lord in the midst of all of the hurt of the world. It's still going to hurt my heart, but I can have joy in Him because I have a perspective, an internal perspective that I know that God is going to redeem all of these things for my good and for His glory. And in that, we can find joy. Oof, God. Joy is found when our hearts can rest. So, Church, do you know Him, and not just about Him, right? The devil, the devil knows Jesus, and they shudder. Do you know him? Even if you walked Him your whole life, that's the beauty of serving an eternal God. There's always more of him to have. There's always more grace to abound, and that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So I want to leave you with a couple of practical takeaways. Uh, in my life, looking back, three things were very clearly present in those times that I was growing and maturing in my faith. And they were absolutely absent in seasons of doubt and drought in my life. Number one is prayer. If you want to know Jesus more, pray to. If you want to have that deep relationship with him that it can be well in your heart, pray to. If you're struggling, you're like, God, I don't even know if you're real. I need you to be real to me. Pray to. Now, prayer doesn't come naturally to me. I am so thankful that, Even Paul says that he has to labor in prayer. It doesn't come naturally to me to just quiet my heart and spend time um, with the Lord, but if I want to know him more, I need to spend time with him in the places of my heart that only he has access to. If you want to know God more, you need to spend time in prayer. Number two, get out your Bible. I, don't, I haven't read it front to back. I don't have things memorized. I can't tell you references. But I can tell you lessons that I've learned from my time in the Bible. I know in the Old Testament, every story, God proves himself faithful time and time again. And if he was faithful then, he will be faithful now. I know that the gospel, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they, they lay out the story of, of Jesus. And I get to know who he is. He becomes more real to me when I know his story. And the New Testament lays out not just things you should and shouldn't do, but this blueprint, this this uh, gauge that you can see. Where, where does my life line up? Where How can I grow deeper in my faith? And, and amidst the chaos and the turmoil and the division of today, I am not going to be shaken because I know who wins in the end. Get yourself in God's word. Uh, and number three... You absolutely need to be in a relation, close relationship with somebody who's more spiritually mature than you. Somebody you can ask questions to. Somebody who can encourage your heart. Somebody who can inspire you in your relationships. Um, and then there's this flow that happens when you're in a relationship with somebody who's more spiritually mature. Who has access to your, to your thoughts. Wherever your, where's your mind been? Where have your eyes been? Where's your heart been this week? That's going to push you into God's word. And God's word is going to push you to prayer. And prayer is going to push you back to God's word. And then you're going to have questions about people who have really weird names. And then you're going to be able to have somebody you can ask those questions to. And it's this beautiful flow where growth is inevitable. And Jesus is absolutely evident. So if you want to know God more and continue to dive deeper, you need to get in his presence. You need to get in his word. And you need to get in his community. And you got to dig in. Because Jesus is the answer for the longing of your heart. Right? No matter how hard your heart is, he's the answer to that longing. So if I'm going to leave you with anything today, it's going to be this question. If, you, if everything you had today was lost, could you still say that it is well with your soul? What's your answer? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time today. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your faithfulness. God, you meet each one of us where we're at, and you love us just the same. You know the depths of our heart, and you still went to the cross for us. Thank you for who you are, God. You are so good. Amen.
0: Uh, Some of the folks in the office, wow, that words are hard. Some of the folks in the office that are a lot more fun and creative than me thought that might be a really cool way to kind of take this message in Andrea's uh, sermon today and to maybe share it with you in a little bit of a different way. And so we're going to show that video now.
2: Hello and welcome to my lab. I am Dr. C. Clearly, and today I'm going to be sharing with you an object lesson about how to be more like Jesus. Now, for instance... We're going to take this vinegar, and we're going to say that it's Jesus' teachings. And these different substances are going to represent a relationship that a Christian would have with Jesus. First, we have powdered milk. Let's see what happens. Look, 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 look. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I don't know if you can see that, but it looks pretty clumpy and curdled that's what happens when people or christians complain they complain about how hard it is to follow god and they never grow next one we have baking soda let's see what happens here There's lots of fizz, people. Lots of fizz. Can you get a close-up of this? Some Christians get super excited about Jesus, but then they fizz out. Next one. Oil. Oh, boy. What do we got here? You see the separation? You got the oil on top, And the vinegar on the bottom. What does that tell you? We tend to put ourselves before Jesus. And we don't learn how to to take his word and apply it to our life. Let's see what happens when we combine Jesus' teachings to the water. What? I mean, I know I'm Dr. C clearly, but are these glasses playing tricks on me? It looks like water, but it also looks like vinegar. I tell you what, I can smell that vinegar. It means I can see Jesus' teachings through this one. So the water is part of the vinegar. I think this is the way Jesus wants us to be. If you look in your Bible and you turn to 1 Corinthians, I'm going to grab my Bible real quick. You turn to 1 Corinthians, I need new glasses, 617, it says, But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. That's exactly what we were trying to show you here. This is the type of Christian that Jesus would want us to be. He wants us to become part of him in the same way we can be Christians who become so much like Jesus that people see him when they see us. I hope you enjoyed our object lesson today. I'm Dr. C. Clearly, and I will see you later. Bye.
1: Uh, There's a lot of you out there. I can't do that. Isn't she great? I hope we get more of Dr. C. clearly again soon. Church God is worth the effort to get to know him. And what will it look like when the church of God passionately pursues the heart of God? And we change the foundation of our community and the trajectory for generations.